Hi, and welcome to episode 71, I think, maybe, of Therapy Tales. 500, 6 million, 3, We're sat here um, <laughs> cheating on the Starbucks in um, Tim Hortons, and we have a funky new microphone, so... Um, it's pretentious, apparently. It, it is a bit pretentious, and so I am feeling like a bit weird about sitting here talking without actually having a I mic think clipped. It, I think it makes us look all professional and stuff. And, and in the middle of Tim Hortons, that's what we need to do. What do you think? So, so this is just deliberately getting Willow to make sure she says something because we now have this kind of central microphone. We don't have our own individual microphones, which means we can have multiple people sit here talking to each other. Rather oh, and she. by the way, I'm Dawn. Hi, Dawn. I'm, Hi, Jess. I'm Jess. Who are you? <laughs> and we've got Willow. Hi. Everybody needs an assistant like Willow. Yes, everybody does. Hashtag Team Willow. Hashtag slave the system. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag we've got so many t-shirts with hashtags on. Oh my god, Willow and I are making this new thing on a Friday now where she reads out to me all the things that I said to her during the week about putting on t-shirts. It's okay. absolutely hilarious today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we I'm need to I'm actually going to get some for Devin, I ordered some. Okay. One of just says Dundee. <laughs> I am Dundee. I am Dundee. Yeah. It should say I am Dundee, not just Dundee. Because <laughs> like, that, that was the joke, right, that you are Dundee. People keep calling me or referring to me as Dundee, which I thought was quite hilarious at first. And now it's gone to your head. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense unless you're... Yeah, and just wander around saying, I am Dundee, and everybody just gives you this really weird look. I don't collaborate with morons. <laughs> that was the one that Willow chose to call out in the middle of our podcast. I don't collaborate with morons. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you, Willow. And yet here we are talking to each other, so hey. <laughs> So actually, we did have a topic for this podcast, didn't we? <laughs> yes, yes, we did. <laughs> should, we, should we try and talk about it and see where we get to? Can we restart? <laughs> no, we can't. No, that's what everybody gets, as it is, so that they don't think for one second that we're actually professional about what we're doing here. <laughs> we, we, we know stuff. We're well-meaning. However. Okay, <laughs> know stuff and well-meaning. That's an interesting combination. <laughs> we're complete novices at sharing that with the world. Yeah. But, you okay. know, so anyway. Today, I had an idea, and I messaged Dawn. A complete load of gobbledygook on a messenger. Absolutely, I can confirm. Have you got, have you got time to do a podcast? Yeah, sure. These are my ideas. Well, the thing is, I have ideas every day, and then they kind of... And like, if I'm there, you just go, we're not allowed to talk about this because we have to save it for a podcast. And if I'm not there, you send me gobbledygook messages and say we must do a podcast on this that we don't then get to do for another couple of weeks. Well, I think the point is, and we have conversations about it, are actual conversations, and if we talk about it before, then we won't talk about the same thing because we know that we've already discussed that. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, she I says know, pointing at the microphone. I know they don't, but it's not the same as a real-life conversation for the first time. No, it isn't. So that's the authenticity of it. All right, okay, we're being authentic and professional. Jeez. In Tim Hortons. Hold your hands on your table, get yourself ready, because <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. We're being authentic and professional. Um, you might not have got that from the first three minutes of this conversation, by the way. <laughs> Damn it, why can't we edit these things? Okay. Oh, we can, but I choose not to. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, what was our topic? Our topic is animal welfare. Cool. And animal welfare, how it relates to uh, happiness and um, making sure our we're doing the best for our dogs from a perspective of ethics and also thinking about what the dog's needs are rather than what we think we need to do for the dog or give to the dog. So one of the things that's really common for me um, just now doing a lot of Zooms around the world and around the UK and what's really common is um, 
we give our dogs everything. So I have this like analogy that I do of, um, oh, Willow hasn't heard this bit yet, so I'll, I'll get you to have a think, Willow. So um, you, have to you wouldn't normally have a think, you just sit there <laughs> just not thinking about anything we're saying. <laughs> so again, hold on to the table, here he comes. So right, you're going you're gonna to get to live on a desert island for six months on your own. Um, and you can choose which desert island. You've got two choices. The first desert island has a freshwater stream, waterfall. In fact, look at the Timothy sort of waterfall where you can have a little... Does anybody know the Timothy waterfall anymore? Uh, does I, does sure Willem know what a Timothy waterfall? No, no idea what a Timothy okay, waterfall. I'm so sorry. So it's like an advert for TV where she's standing under the waterfall with a shampoo. There's no shampoo on this island, by the way. But for the purposes of describing to you what a Timothy waterfall is... Hey, if it's, a, if it's the island that's got everything, you shouldn't have shampoo. Oh, my God. Okay, it's got shampoo on the side. No, because that changes the whole thing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so I get to wash sorry. my hair. No. <laughs> so the island has everything you need to live, but you can't wash your hair. <laughs> Neither islands you can wash your hair. Oh, right. Except with like sea urchins and you know whatever else. You're yeah, the hair. well-known alternative remedy. I'm using so, sea urchins to wash your hair. Yes, okay. So, um, island number one has loads of fruit, loads of veg. You're not going to go hungry on this island. Okay. And you have fresh water on tap. And the weather is the same all the time. Like, it's like today outside, right? It's a nice sort of balmy 18, 19 degrees sea. And <laughs> That's balmy for Scotland, just for those of you who are listening from all it's over the today, world. Right? This is our barbecue weather. Um, and we're all thinking about whether we should be wearing shorts today, because maybe it's just too hot for trousers. And we've got someone coming to visit us from Canada next week to do the residential. And she's like, what do I wear? And I was like, oh, it's like summer here just now. It's really nice. And I'm like, maybe yeah. you're spring. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, the weather's the weather's like consistently warm and with a tiny little breeze, and it's just the most beautiful place. Right on paper, it's like paradise. The second island that you can choose to live on um, has variable weather. So sometimes it rains, sometimes it's thunderstorm, sometimes it's windy, sometimes it's sunny. So you're probably gonna have to build a shelter of some sort to stay safe and out of the weather. Um, there is no waterfall. Or Timothy shampoo. Or Timothy shampoo. So, to be clear, neither island has shampoo. Okay, sorry, yeah. They've got sea urchins though, so we're okay. Right, okay, sorry. I'm just, I'm a visual person. I'm just building my island. I was thinking about hair and spikes, and then I would brush my hair with sea urchin, but that doesn't have any conditioning effects whatsoever, I don't think. Yes, yes. And I need to research this in case there is conditioning effects of a sea urchin, but I really doubt it. Anyway, so... um, there's no uh, freshwater like river, but there is like the start of a well that you could dig and then get some fresh water. And there's very few fruit, but there are wild boar and there's fish, so you're gonna have to do a little bit of work to get your meat and food. Okay. So on paper, you've got two desert islands. One seems like paradise. One seems like hard work. If you were to live there on your own for six months, which one would you pick? Jess looks at Willow. Sorry, I'm narrating. It's a podcast. <laughs> Willow looks out to the distance. <laughs> Willow's like, what? Question. Do I have the skills to be able to kill the boar and stuff, or is it just I'm just going like that? It, it's you, as you are now. I'm picking number one then. <laughs> why do you think? Why do you think that number one would be? boring to most people because it's easy easy and everything's just there right and the idea is that if you're spending two weeks there that would be okay but six months sounds a little bit unbearable doesn't it where everything's just like there meh exactly and eventually the weather becomes boring and eventually the 
know, there's, there's nothing to do. It's really going insane. You got a bit Tom Hanks, right? Where you start talking to the ball. Winston? It was Winston. Wilbur? Wasn't, wasn't oh, it was Winston. Again, Willow looks blank. Castaway, Tom Hanks film, where he just, um, his only company is a football, so he draws a face on it and goes mad talking to it. I think he also becomes emotionally attached to the it was, it was, uh, the It was the brand name. It, was, it, must, it might have been Wilson or something, because the brand name Wilson. of the football, remember, there was a, it had a W on it and it had a... Uh, something like that. So, um, we give our dogs Desert Island Day. We give everything to the dogs that they need, or we think they need. They don't have to do any um, work or job. Or yeah, but what we purpose. do, we do, we kind of give a jigsaw, like, you know, in the really cool island that, that Willow's living on. We give her a jigsaw to do because that gives her something to do for a minute. Oh, enrichment. Yeah, enrichment. That's an enrichment activity to give her something different to do. So if you had jigsaws, would it make any better? So much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, give our dogs licky mats, right? So that, that gives them something to do for 10 minutes or something like that in their. Uh... So, part of what um, my uh, method or my thoughts are is that um, it's important for humans as well. So, we spoke before about the Callahan experiment with these rats. You remember that one, Willow, where the rats eventually died out and they died out 25 times and they had enough space and they had all the resources that they needed. But they became, um, well, they became really interesting, didn't they? They started to, the big rats, started to hoard the resources and go, even though there's enough for everybody, I'm going to have all the resources. And then the wee small rats that couldn't get access to the big resources, the big resources, couldn't get access because of the big rats, they started fighting each other. And all chaos broke loose until they just stopped breeding altogether because of the stress. Yes. And so what would rats do with that rat paradise, or rat hell as it turned out? What would rats do? They'd be foraging. They'd have the stresses of uh, running away from predators, so short-term stress, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because then the recovery of that is... Well, there's achievement, right? Yeah. So um, with struggle comes achievement. I got away from the, the cat-fox thing. Cat-fox thing? Well, what, eats, what eats rats? A cat-fox thing, apparently. I saw a rat last night. Did you? Starbucks, yeah. They're quite big. Anyway, um, <laughs> I put a post on my. Uh, you on see my, wild rats, do you? I see lots. Do you? Yeah, probably more than I should do. Where do you, um, where do you see them? <laughs> I see them around. I see wow. them. Uh, I, this is what my thought was during the pandemic. I was like, what happened to all the rats and the seagulls? Like in the city well, centres. Yeah, well, during the pandemic, in the city centres, all the food places were shut. Nobody was out and about eating. And all the oh, food places so were shut. Sad. And they'd grown up foraging on the food places and they were all shut so what happened to all the rats and the seagulls during the pandemic maybe they eat each other cannibalism that's the thing <laughs> that was jess pulling a rat face while she described this i'm assuming it was a rat rather than a seagull face because seagulls are harder with the beak thing <laughs> what <laughs> anyway i was just saying on my instagram today i posted um a yin and yang thing where um a lot of my clients talk about how much they're struggling and you know they talk about it with this sort of spiky stick i'm struggling all the time i'm struggling so much i'm, I'm having such a hard time but in order to struggle you must cope because there's, there's the, the yin and yang of it is struggling and coping it's like happy and sad and all this sort of stuff and i think it's the same with the uh, um, sense of achievement you have to have the stress the overcoming adversity to have the sense of achievement and capability that you did that and survived and there's, there's a um 
a philosophy on hedonism as well, isn't there? Where if you're not... <laughs> John just shook his head. Like, like, why have we gone to why, philosophy? Why have we gone... Because, no, why, went, why did we go to hedonism? Because hedonism. if you're happy all the time and you've got nothing to compare to, then is it real happiness? Because happiness and sadness... There's an island happy. like hedonism and, you know... Um, that's a totally different sort of island to the two you described if you've ever seen the TV series. So it, I didn't go to the philosophy thing, it was the hedonism. But I just went, oh, okay, that's a whole different world to me. Sorry, carry on. So, yeah, like what you were saying, we need the, the two points of reference. Otherwise, if, if it's like the, the weather, right? The weather's always nice. We would have nothing to complain about. <laughs> No, the Brit we're British, Jess. The British have an innate ability to complain about the weather no matter what the weather is. And, and, you know, if it's too nice, it's too dry, it's too warm, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too... It's always something. We can maybe last a couple of hours of our, oh, wow, it's such a nice day. And then it's like, oh, I'm too hot. And, yeah, I should have worn different clothes and uh, I'm thirsty. And, yeah, it's a British thing. But, yes, most people... Weather is not such a such an obsession for them. Well, we use it as a conversation piece. It is. Yeah. All my clients have to talk to me about the weather before we're allowed to talk about client stuff. So you didn't like the tea thing that I said, did you? I, okay, so... Um, <laughs> because it, etiquette, as well, my brain went to etiquette okay. and mannerisms that humans do, so yes. like with the weather. And then I was trying to explain many years ago about um, how we speak to dogs. So, you know, would you like a cup of coffee? And dogs, we would say no tea, right? If we were speaking to a dog. Whereas with a human, you'd say no thank you, and you'd have mannerisms about it. We're rude to dogs. We're really like, we, we're like constantly giving them. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Like, it's like, no tea. No tea. <laughs> no tea. Because we're taking the thank you out. No thank you. No, but we don't though. Please, right? No, we don't. It's like when you trip over a cat or something, you go, oh, I'm really sorry, you're right. You know, we have these... So this morning we were talking... There's a reason why we have the thank yous and the pleases. And we use them with dogs and cats, even though they can't understand them. Sorry, what I mean is, um, yeah, we do use them. But when we're, when, we're giving, when we're in conversation, if we say to the dog to sit or to do something, we speak in these short commands. Right. Um, and we, we add these things in, like the thank yous and the pleases, to humans, uh, for other humans, because we're a group-living species and we need to be polite to each other um, in order to survive. So, for example, if you said, do you want a cup of tea? And I said, no, coffee. Mixing up now. Um, that would be rude, wouldn't it? Just to come back with you with a no coffee. Yes, but if you went, can I give you a hug? And I went, no, that would be appropriate. So it depends on the context of what we're asking. So when we ask a dog to sit, we are not asking, look, would you mind awfully just taking the that's, butt that's on the ground? That's my point. Like, I do. I ask, I ask a question to the dog. So rather than demanding of the dog, my, it's, I'm not asking in, in a question in English. I'm asking a question is because I'm always thinking about what I can do for them back. Right. Even if it's touch, even if it's verbal praise. And I see out in the real world people um, expecting the dog to do things constantly. So what my brain does is go, okay, if I were to treat a human like that, like if I did this experiment with Willow for one week where I just barked orders at her, right? <laughs> in the way that we speak to dogs and give no feedback whatsoever, um, she'd probably be exhausted. She probably wouldn't think very highly of me. And okay. she might just start ignoring me. She probably just won't get out of bed in the morning. And... She's lack motivation. There you go. <laughs> so what motivates us is the humans is the the connection part as well. So that the pleases and thank yous and the feedback. Does that make sense? 
It does. I'm on a tenuous link on this one just now. I haven't haven't quite made the link because we're, we're kind of saying we treat them like people, but we don't treat them like people. And we should treat them like people, but we shouldn't treat them like people. So I'm, I'm going in a bit of a loop in like, and so what? <laughs> okay, so so what is, yeah, you're absolutely right. We treat them like people, as in the way that we um, feel about them. Yes. But we don't treat them like people in the way that we our attitude is towards them when we're um, asking them to do things. So we do a lot of expecting of dogs. So we've yes. got high expectations of dogs to do things, but without the feedback, without the understanding that they're a sentient being, that also goes, well, what's in it for me? Yes, but also is not a fully sentient being to the level of a person, and if it doesn't like what you tell it to do, it's perfectly capable of ignoring you and using its teeth and being a dog. So the consequences of um, it not doing what you tell it to are quite different than if a person says no when they don't want or the coffee. Or doesn't get to bed, or has a tantrum on the floor. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about kids now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, whereas a dog's going to be very So, so I, I think if you, if you distill it down into the principles of it, the principles is a lot of things are about awareness. And so it's like we have to be aware that in the same way as they have that social contract with us, we have a social contract with them and we shouldn't just see them as um, being super happy just because they're with us and we give them love and attention. Everybody needs some bigger purpose, mm -hmm. some motivation, some challenge, some stimulation. And we need to be aware that stimulation to a dog is not um, playing a little game of tuggy for five minutes and giving it a big hug afterwards and letting it snuggle with you on the sofa while you watch TV. That's not stimulation for a dog. That's good for you, but it's not giving your dog any of its needs being met. Absolutely. And so a big eye-opener for me was over lockdown, one of the things that I did with my time was that I did a qualification in animal welfare from Edinburgh University. And it wasn't specifically about dogs, but hugely related back to dogs for me uh, and, and super useful to think about. So another one for you two, because you've not heard this yet. Um, so the, it was broken down into four parts. You've got farm, domestic, wild, Feral. Okay. So feral being not quite domesticated, but not quite wild. So living on the periphery of humans, you've not got... So all of these have got um, pros and cons. So wild animals have access to healthcare, um, has to have a stress of if it's going to eat, because, you know, resources aren't just there. Whereas your domestic animal doesn't tend to have that struggle. Food is always available. And feral animals mostly got resources available, doesn't have access to healthcare. Um, and farm animals are a really interesting ones. So out of the four of those, which one do you think um, would have the highest welfare standard? If you were going to pick a group to, to be an animal in, which one would you want to be? I think the one that's most looked after would be the farm animals. Damn it, she's always freaking right, isn't she? Because they'll think raccoons like me. They will, will they, Willow? They will think raccoons and rabies. So a feral, a raccoon, for me, a, a raccoon is definitely wild. Not fair. No, I, know, I, I think a feral is something that could be a domestic animal that is living on the outskirts yeah. of domestication. So it would be a wild pack of dogs running around the streets. It would be cats. It would be... Foxes, so, so, I guess, are feral, are they? No, I think they're wild because they never are domesticated. Well, here's, a quick, here's, a, here's an interesting one for you. Uh, Edinburgh um, city centre caught their wild foxes 
which I would call feral, but she's gone wild. Gone the wild. <laughs> and released them into the actual wild, and they all freaking starved because there was no McDonald's to eat. Well, that, that was my point about the rats and the seagulls during the pandemic, <laughs> right? Because these have they've grown up with. So this isn't supply. feral then going to be more like the the need for humans to be there rather than being wild as in fending for themselves and hunting for themselves? I, I for me, and the, the, somebody Google it because I have my phone recording. Um, the, for the definition me, of feral, yeah, you? yeah. For me, the definition would be a feral animal is one that is not in its natural group, which is either domesticated farm animal, wild. It's one that's gone off grid from the group, and it's used to living in one situation, but it's no longer in that situation. Okay, so it says uh, existing in the wild or untamed, having returned to an untamed state from domestication. That would be the one that I would go you with. See, I think the foxes may have been at one point domesticated. I think they'd make really good pets. They're like cat dogs. <laughs> okay, well, we know what we're going to get going for a birthday. Pet, pet dogs. You know you've got to be careful when you say that kind of stuff to me, don't you? Yeah, no, I don't. I want a pre-trained one if I'm getting one. I'm not having any of this kind of just feral one. <laughs> not a Marley pup, no. <laughs> It's the fox here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you own. do that colour painting thing where they, they dye the dogs, you know, and suddenly you give me and you're like, I got you a fox dog. Like, the dye's coming off, Jess. What's this? <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Farm animals have the best welfare, which is really surprising. Um, <laughs> however, and, and domestic animals are the worst because, from a welfare perspective, it's not just about healthcare and food, it's also about freedom. So, it's also about. Um, being able to be exhibiting natural behaviours, uh-huh. which would, of course, um, be giving them most amount of dopamine, uh-huh. which means that the animal is happiest, right? So why would a domesticated animal not be happy? It wouldn't be happy if it can't fulfil its purpose. And so I didn't... It wasn't dogs. Um, dogs we can look at from a different perspective in a minute. One of the ones um, that I did learn about was chickens and pigs. And even now, the um, studies, because there's a lot of money pumped into farm animals and yes. the research and keeping yes. them happy, because the happier they are, the more productive they yes, are, the more, you know, less money you have to spend on um, healthcare and vet bills and so on. So um, they learned, and a lot of um, the changes for the, the animal welfare bill have been through this research. They learned that um, chickens do better if you've got them in a crate with uh, no more than six individuals at a time. And if they're off the ground by four inches or so to perch, if they're off the ground, they're happier. Okay. And if they get to roll around in sand and grit, they're at their happiest. Okay. If we present the same idea to a dog... <laughs> that dog's gonna go. I don't need a perch. I have no idea what to do with this sand. Do we eat it? Do we pee on it? We probably pee on it. If you put cat there, <laughs> definitely gonna pee on it. So um, we can't relate the same um, ideas to different animals because different animals have got different niches. Yes, and they're different species have different requirements. They do. So we need to think about what is the requirement for a dog, and we can look to our feral or wild ancestors and then take into consideration the domestication process has changed them but not too much and remember we're doing what we do with dogs in, in the west is not what they do around the rest of the world yeah so and we haven't done it for that long you know 100 years or so ago um they were 
dogs were um, chained up outside, they were not living in the house. Very few of them were. So of yep. course we've got lap dogs that live for a couple hundred years as natural flea repellents, or not repellents, but what's the opposite? Um, attractants, I suppose. Like ladies had them on their laps, so the fleas would go to the animal. Okay. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> we scratch it at fleas, wouldn't it? My, my I think, to be honest, a hundred years ago plus, the least worrying thing would be the fleas. I mean, you think about the big dresses they wore, they couldn't really go to the toilet. They just went where they walked. What? Yeah. No, they did not. They did. They absolutely did. When With the ladies, with the whole, with all the petticoats and stuff, they just went where they were. But they must have smelled. Yes. It would have been so stinky back in the day. Wow. Massively stinky. I don't understand. No, but, you know, it's not actually that long ago when you think about it. It's quite disturbing. Yeah, so we have to... On this history podcast today, it's brought to you... (laughs) (laughs) With a coffee and a cowboy hat. There you go, that's the new title of our podcast. Coffee and a cowboy hat. (laughs) Is that my hat? It's it's different, yes. It's different. Did you hear that? Did you hear that tone? I did see that and I saw the head top. It's different. (laughs) Okay, so um, happiness to a dog. This should be your question. What does happiness to a dog look like, Jess? Oh, Jess, hang on. Let me. I was just thinking about what you were just talking about there. And I was wondering, you know, I know what happiness looks like to a person, but what's it actually look like to a dog, Jess? And a chicken now, obviously. And a chicken. <laughs> I grew up on a chicken farm. I know what happiness doesn't look like to a chicken. Yes. So if they've, if they've got too many... Um, on specifics, too many chickens around them. Yeah, 8,000 in a shed is probably a bit much. They eat each other and they... And stand on each other. Yeah, and they go bald and, and they get stressed. It's horrible. So, um, yeah, so even battery farm chickens now, I think it was 2019 or something, legislation changed because of this research. Yeah. It's really cool. And there's other animals as well, like pigs become quite cannibalistic if they're um, too close together. Um, if mother pigs are allowed to nest and have space away from the male pigs, that they kill their babies less, they stand on their babies less. So there's lots of reasons why we might consider what's natural uh, to that specific animal. So for a dog, what does that look like? Well, group living, which means to me that we should actually be shaking our heads when we think about dog reactivity, or overreactivity, as I like to call it now. Um, we should be shaking our heads and going, that can't be a thing, they're a group living species. If you had a human that couldn't be another human, so you'd go, there's something very wrong here, like psychologically disturbed, right? Yes. Why is it um, exhibiting such aggressive responses when it sees a member of its own kind? Something's gone really wrong. And yet, if you look around us now, every second person's contacted me with a reactive dog. It's become so normalised. It wasn't normalised when I started 20 years ago. So, so side question is, does that mean it's actually not a reactive dog, that it's actually just being a very normal dog, that the human's being reactive and overreacting to something that the dog is doing that's perfectly natural? Well, I mean, I don't think the, the human's overreacting. I mean, the human's definitely probably going to be um, quite worried about what it might do. And, and you know that most of the time they're avoiding because they don't like what they see in the dog. So they try I know, and get away from that. Conceptually, if we are saying the concept is that dogs should all live together in a pack, that's their natural way of being. And then there is a natural um, 
Simple tap. If you happen. stop that from happening. Yeah. So there's in, in a natural behaviour, there's natural little spats are going to happen, falling outs are going to happen, a little bit of dominance and battles going on, and that's perfectly natural because they speak their own language and they reconcile it. So you know, conceptually, that means that if we have our pet dog who is doing that with other pet dogs, then that's perfectly acceptable. It's just it's not to the human. Conceptually playing total extreme devil's advocate there for a moment, we could say that the problem actually here is us in not letting our dogs do what dogs naturally do and Absolutely. just sort well, it out between them. And if we think about, if we have the, the thought experiment where all the humans disappeared off the planet and the dogs are all left, the dogs would all get on with it. Yes. And they would be fine. With the exception of some very, like I can think of probably one in 20 years and that was very recently. Um, the Kerry Blue, one of the Kerry Blues this year, who was seeing dogs as, as uh, prey, so it was extreme. And you know, with Rob and I, we could handle that, but <laughs> and manage it. And it, you know, it looked okay on the surface. We could walk them in public and so on. But your average person just wouldn't understand or wouldn't be able to absolutely go back to what he was doing before, which was screaming, yelling his head off. Really, really rare. Uh, most dogs don't see their dogs as prey. No. And most dogs learn, right? So, but then with humans as well, you're going to get extreme cases. If we went to the, um, I'm trying to think of the PC we, we were to say that, a psychiatric ward, just the word. If we went to the psychiatric ward, well, we would see some extremes of behaviour that's not typical in society. You see outliers. There's always outliers. That's, that's where averages come from, right? So it's a spread and you have very few people that are quite in the middle. So you still have the same with dogs. You'd have them all, all different spreads. But generally speaking, we're almost saying that that's a, a normal, natural behaviour for a dog, but it's not natural for a pet dog in a human society to be able to behave that way. And we never way. see it in wild or feral dogs, this dog reactivity, because they would be chased away, they would be, they would be um, suppressed by the pack. You know, we don't do that here. Um, and extremes would be chased out of the pack. They'd yeah. be like, you can't, you can't stay here with like, got an attitude like that. And they would change their attitude. They'd go, okay, cool, I don't do that then. Yeah. I've seen it in horses as well. So um, it's only humans that are nurturing and going, oh, regardless of the fact that you bit me and broke my hand, I still want to be friends with you. I still want you to be in my house. So, so here's the interesting thing um, when we're talking about species. So every species has something different that's critical for survival. So a herd animal like a horse, when a foal is born, it must be able to get on four legs and run as quickly as possible. For survival, it must be able to run with the herd away from predators. So you'll see a foal or any sort of herd animal stand up very quickly, be able to walk and run very quickly. A predator animal, when it's born, what's critical for survival is it doesn't act as much like a predator because it's not got big teeth and it's not big and tough and strong enough. So what you'll see is a puppy stick close to its mother, run away from things rather than go into the attack. And I'm going to add to that, um, give signals that increase bonding. Yes. So the human baby can't even sit up for eight months. So what's critical for a human baby is that it bonds with its caregiver. So in the wild, you know, not only human babies in the wild, but in the caveman days, you know, if, if an animal doesn't <laughs> bond with its mother, it dies. So we have that genetic programming almost as a species that we must be loved and cared for. We must have the bond 
in order to survive, whereas in other species there are different things that are critical well, for survival. Well, I would say that was the same, same with dogs, because um, what's really unusual in dogs is for a pack member. So someone asked me yesterday, um, you know, if I've got an aggressive dog and I bring it up to you, um, it's quite a distance to bring the dog, um, you know, how do I know that my dog's going to be safe in your pack? How do I know it's not going to be injured? And I said, well, it's really unusual for the dog to not understand because it's an innate instinct is to um, understand how the pack works. So one-on-one, -on -one, that dog might be trying to go stay away from me. But in a group situation, they don't have to make physical contact for them to, to understand, okay, I need to behave differently here. So that, see it time it's in their programming, right? So it is, this is the thing, that's, it's, it's called programming. Well, they need the pack to survive. And yep. also the pack needs it to survive. So if we maim a member of our pack, we all go hungry. Yeah. And the Cape Monday is the same thing, right? In the, and, and it was critical to be to fit into the pack. Um, the weakest person in the pack would often be ousted from the pack because that would limit the pack survival. So this is why, again, we're programmed to fit in. Because, and we're programmed not to be spotted as the weakest person in the pack because that would be really bad for survival, which is why you can find yourself always feeling on the outskirts of, of, of a, a group of people, feeling that you really want to be part of it, but not feeling safe to go in and join in because it's the primitive caveman programming that says this. So I think it's really interesting that nobody needs to give you a rule book or a little handbook and tell you how to do. Nobody needs to give a dog a handbook and tell it how to behave amongst other dogs but most dogs never get a chance to try that out. And so you get these moments, these flashpoints, where they have an interaction and it, it doesn't happen because it's condensed, because they've never been allowed to interact with another dog and then another dog is a flashpoint with them and they just do the, all that condensed behaviour well, in one moment. Unfortunately, your, your behaviourism doesn't teach you this. Um, and that's where I've come from. You know, I've come from um, academic studies and, and learning about behaviorism and at its core it's got nothing to do with hormones and emotions and also pre-programming of how to be the animal the species that's yeah. going to survive and and there's such a lot of um data points that we can get from humans as well because humans are a group living species so it's a huge um parallel between the dogs and the humans we're both group living species yeah. we both know how to do things but a lot of the time the, the human part holds us back so for example if you were living with a parent who had high levels of anxiety um, and that parent stopped you from going out and meeting other people and you started to show similar behaviors on the outside not necessarily the inside so mm -hmm. the intrinsic value is still the same but externally that learned behavior is there people might assume that you've got some anxiety mm -hmm. and you probably would exists. assume as well because you would like a parent has the anxiety so i have the anxiety this is why i'm worried about this thing and um when you take that person away uh, which is a lot easier to do with dogs than it is with children but i have seen it with with parents and, and children before um where and sometimes the parent's not even anxious sometimes the parent is an enabler without realizing that they're an enabler um because they're trying to do they're well-meaning they're trying to do okay with it by their kids by not pushing them into situations <laughs> why are you laughing <laughs> just like talking yourself around in circles trying not to say anything there. i'm not judging anybody but yes <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. The point is we have core programming and that is genetic and innate core programming and each species has it. And then we're running that almost like an algorithm in the background uh, with our lived experiences, well, the, right? Yeah, the point is that you can get back to that because yeah. we're, we know how to do things, yeah. but sometimes the learned behaviours stop us from doing it. And that's the bit where I feel like um, coming on the residential uh, or sending the dog for a residential rather um, can be really, really useful because what we see on the surface isn't always indicative of what's ha- lying underneath. Um, so I've talked recently about... Um, fight, flight, freeze, and how the dog might be presenting as fight, but actually it's, like, Whiskey's a great example of that. He's not, he's not a natural fight response. He's been taught, or he's learned, rather. No yeah. one's taught him specifically. He has learned that fight is what gets the answers, um, or at least... Or it's the only thing, right? So he's, he's tried the other things, and he's been pushed and pushed and pushed, and eventually gone, I don't want to do it, and actually when I do this kind of fight response then actually everybody backs off and I get my own way and once you've done it once and it works you can try it again and try it again and then the owners kind of back off because who likes a dog that's growling at you or threatening to bite you and so the dog learns the behavior rather than has it as an innate natural response and and we'll deal with dogs differently so if a dog is a fight intrinsically and uh, presenting as fight, um, I will then go right. This is strict management. You know, this is uh, that would be a difficult case for me. Yeah. Um, or a dog that's difficult. I would rather say not, not for me. I'm just like yes. that would be um, for the owners to live with much more difficult. Most of the dogs are not because we've previously discussed that the humans are the same. So uh, freeze and and flight are the the general the norm, right? Yes, free and, and especially in um, in humans and I think probably in dogs as well a lot of the time. Well, the, the reality is nobody wants to fight because fight not, is actually, it's not, safe, right? it's not safe. It's your biggest risk to survival is choosing the fight option. The somebody, other one's somebody safer. Somebody said to me, oh, my dog seems to enjoy it. And I, um, and I said, like the aggression, and I said, actually, I don't know how to quantify this because I haven't read any studies on this, but... Um, and we will, in years to come, we will, we will have the answers to this because it, it's, it lies in the chemistry. The, the animal, our body doesn't want to be in that negative state. It doesn't want to be full of cortisol. It's not healthy. No. Um, but it can be stuck there because um, of habit. Yep. Of, like, of not knowing any different, you know, yeah. of environment creates this state that we don't know there is a different state. But the phenomenon that happens is that when I put that little seed of potential in that animal, that human or dog, um, that little seed can grow into something, oh, I can do a different thing. And that can grow arms and legs and then continue. So Atlas is a great example. Uh, they were up last weekend. And so he's an, an, a great example of um, presenting as fight, but when, obviously when stressed, presenting as fight. And this is the bit where people go, oh, but the dog's fine 99% of the time. I'm sure Jesse said that as well. Everybody says it. Everybody says it. <laughs> um, and it's only when, right? It's only when it's not getting its own way. It's only when it's having to have its legs picked up or asked to get in the car, asked to come out the creek or, or whatever the thing is that we're asking the dog to do. And or the being told to do something, right? So when it's asked to do something, it's one thing, but when you have to make it do it, yeah. it has no choice, then you get this other behaviour. And it's fairly easy for a lot of people to manage these things until we get to the point where the dog needs to go to the vet and or needs to get groomed or something has to happen. Or we trip over the harness or the collar, doesn't want, decides to 
doesn't want the collar on these days. It's all the excuses, right? Yeah. Oh, always in pain, always tired, always, you know, settled or yeah. always had a bone. It was raining, yeah. Oh. So um, Atlas is uh, preventing his fight, um, learned behaviours. There's lots of reasons why, lots of, um, you know, training that they did. And absolutely heartbreaking to still hear this from people that, you know, that they've, they've been told to ignore behaviours from a young age or dog will go out grow it. One person was told to wear wellies and the dog's chewing on their, their legs. And just, like, <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> afterwards, you're like... And then next, you can, if the wellies that. aren't thick enough, you could just get a suit of armour because that would be really cool. Right. I think I've spoken about this before, you know, I, I did clicker training a long time ago in the horse world. You can you know, see my videos of clicker training, riding without reins, riding without anything on the horse. Um, lots of clicker training, lots of positive reinforcement. And the clicker training took off in the horse world um, maybe, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it just got, again, really dark really quickly where we started using the term protected contact and that's when I was out. I was like, I'm not going to be part of these groups anymore. So protected contact is where um, you, you never say no and if the horse is then becoming violent towards you or kicking out or robbing you for food, um, you put a gate up. So you work behind the gate. Wow. So we've got hundreds and thousands of years of people working horses. Yeah. And, and working well, good relationships with horses. And yes, you do get people who beat them up with whips and yeah, make yeah. them do stuff, right? But on the whole, they, why would they do that with a, with a, an animal that, that was their living, yep. right? Um, and then we've got to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is feed it. But if, it, if it's going to get a little bit excited, put it behind the gate and just manage it. So where did that come from? Because actually, I think if, if you look at the history of people, we are natural um, animals have always been a part of our lives, right? We've always oh, used affinity. animals. We've always... Um, the many tribes all over the world are still totally dependent on their animals. And, and yes, as you, in, you always get the outliers that treat them terribly. But what changed? Um, and, and maybe it's just this concept of a pet, right? Because a pet is something different from anything no we've ever used. We don't eat it. them. We don't use their resources. We don't, um, we don't use them to transport us or but anything like having, that. They have no job. What we're having now in the dog world, there's this such a shift to um it's gone beyond force three and positive we've gone now where the dog has higher value than the human and i'll give you an example of that um and that sounds terrible to say right because obviously i love dogs and some of dogs definitely have higher value to me than humans um <laughs> certain particular humans <laughs> but um the example of that is a trainer had told one of our clients to when the dog was getting a puppy was getting over rowdy and, and biting at the 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 hair of the hum the owner and also the child was then getting jumped on and bitten but the child was removed and put behind a baby gate yeah and the dog was free in the house and that blew me away because that was you know that's beyond four street that's now the dog gets rights over the kid it's really interesting really yeah. interesting so so the the question is why don't we just get a teddy bear <laughs> Right, we've got these pets, these animals that are sentient beings living in our house that we want to serve our needs, but the removal of the job they do and the working breed or the you know the farm animal kind of nature of them means that they actually are effectively quite useless in many ways. Why, why have a dog like that? I mean, or a I, cat I would or... love to say, you know, well, we've got two options, don't we? We can fix the humans and convince them all that they're not doing justice to their dog. Um, in short, we're overfeeding, 
we're under exercising and we're not giving the dog a purpose. Uh, or we could breed dogs that don't need a purpose and they're yes. docile and just sit there and like to be petted yep. and don't need a lot of exercise and also don't put any weight on even if we feed them. Yes. <laughs> and if we work out the formula That's for that, likely. we're going to apply it to humans because all humans want that formula, right? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I think that's the interesting thing. I think it's a mindset thing, right? It's a it's a realization of. Um, then you ha- if, if you that breed existed, that docile breed existed, you would still have people that um, would see the Malays doing the fun stuff on TV oh. and going, "Oh, I want that. I don't want to do the work to get that, but I want that." I uh, I found one of my Facebook things <laughs> was um, from a good few years ago where we were looking for a dog. And before I knew you, and um, I think I've mentioned before, studies have shown that men recover better from heart operations if they have a dog as a companion. And um, (coughs) the idea was my husband was at home on his own all the time. I thought it would be really good for him to have a a dog as a companion at home. But um, at the time, my kid was quite young, and we didn't want to risk getting a rescue where we didn't know the history. And my husband was adamant that he only wanted a big dog, right? So I'm like, get a little dog. He's like, get a big dog and don't get a rescue dog. So we ended up, so I went on Facebook and I said, we're looking for a dog. Does anybody know of a reasonably large size, maybe a, a lab or a husky or a shepherd? Bloody hell. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. You know? Husky. I know. Can you imagine? And luckily, um, nobody knew anything like that. And we ended up with um, a black lab gun dog. Um, which came from a breeder where we got to see the breeder and it seemed like a good idea and it was still the wrong dog for us because it was too large and all that sort of stuff but you know it it then went back to actually the breeder or a gun dog owner who trained it as a gun dog and it ended up with a very happy life way better than with us but yeah I was just really amused when that came up in my Facebook from like seven years ago or something like that just going oh I'm looking for a large breed dog something like a lab or a husky (laughs) or a shepherd and now I'm like Wow, okay. But the reason for that was because um, at the time, you didn't associate... I didn't know anything, right? Breeds. No, I didn't. I didn't know anything. But why don't we? Like, I I knew it. When I was a young woman, I knew... Yeah, but you're different. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have dogs. But I knew that there was breeds for different reasons. You didn't have, like, pet rats or something you walk down the street or something. (laughs) You don't need to know how eccentric I am. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I, um, we don't, so, so... This is it. There's a really dramatic shift, I think, happened when we've moved away from using our animals in a way that is a working purpose to just a pet. And just a pet is not fair on the animal. That's the problem. Essentially, if we have just a pet and the dogs or the cat or the parrot's sole role is to be a pet, then that's not enough for the animal for its well-being. And that's why if you go into Pets at Home or anything like that, you will see countless toys for all the different types of animals. Any animal you get, you will see a whole range of toys that are supposed to provide stimulation because we recognise that the animal needs something to do more than just look cute and cuddly and have us give it attention. But we don't recognise it in the way that we live with them. Well, we we recognise it as a... We recognise it with being individuals. So individuals just want a pet... Yeah. I think it should need to be more in schools. I think schools need to educate more on how to have a pet. Yeah, I think there needs to be more conversation about it. I, I think the, the, there is the balance is wrong. And I mean, everyone I speak to just now is 
like blown away. Like they're having a session and going, no one's talked to me about this stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's it's there's very much like all about enrichment or all about um, relationship. It's just the relationship though. We want that, a relationship. That's that's missing. Yeah. That's what we want though. That's so the... when a dog comes in. I mean, our next podcast could be specifically on social status, but that that's my. Um, that's the thing that most people are missing from their, their sessions that they do with trainers. No one's talking about this. And I think that what's um, what's missing is understanding when an animal, human, our dog, um, and a group living species come in, into the world, they're going, who am I in relation to you? Yep. Who am I in relation to the group that I live with? That's a really, really simple concept that seems to be a little bit missing from the, the repertoire of... Uh, clinical behaviourists. I definitely trainers. wouldn't have thought about it in any way, shape or form when we got the dog. I was thinking of companion for my husband. I was thinking about the logistics of it was me that was going to have to walk it. It was me that's going to have to clear up after it, but it would be a companion for my husband. He would do the training, so he would do all the obedience stuff, and I would do the walking and picking up after it stuff. And then we would end up with a well-behaved dog that was a perfect companion that you see on TV programmes and everything that just, you know... So you knew that you needed to feed it, and you knew that you needed to walk it. I knew I needed but to feed how it. how to do those things were how yeah, to walk Yeah, I knew dog. I needed to train it. But oh, I that just could be ass- a class, how to walk your dog. I just assumed that <laughs> if you do the sit-stay stuff, that is training your dog, and then you would have a trained dog, and that would be all you had to do. We lost Willow. Willow was tired. We were boring. <laughs> <laughs> she's like I learned so much science and stuff from you guys <laughs> my brain yeah. hurts and then she falls asleep <laughs> sorry little. she's not actually asleep she's just resting because <laughs> she can we're just jealous I know I have two sessions two zooms to do today I have um, a client later so much so much so much on. so much and going on another residential happening on Monday yeah, start the residential on Monday we've got somebody from Canada coming over very exciting and then we're off to Devon mm. And that's, that's very exciting. I'm so looking forward to that holiday. No, it's going to be great. Just as it's a holiday to widen me up and then smiles at me. And I just smile back because I know exactly what's going to happen while we're in Devon. And it's going to be the holiday for me. It's going to be so cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, so on the deep and profound thought that will end our podcast because we always end on a really deep and profound thought do we? obviously do we? we don't end had, in had, a massive I had um, someone ask me how much caffeine we were on the other day did you? <laughs> apparently we were funny yeah okay well um, we the don't one we, we don't let Jess have caffeine just so everybody yeah, knows no, we, we may do can. them in Starbucks no but caffeine. Jess doesn't have caffeine because no it's not safe we don't let her have alcohol <laughs> we also l- very strictly limit the amount of sugar she has before we do this <laughs> it's okay for her to have sugar but not if I have to spend the re- next few hours with her. <laughs> <laughs> Although you always seem to stock your car up really well when we go on road trips. I, I always have. It's, it's a rule of road trips. Your car must be supplied with supplies for the people in the car. And the reason it's always stocked up really well is because I don't really eat them myself. I just have them in the car. <laughs> so, yes. And then just, just like um, locusts through my car is the best way of putting it. I have to restock up afterwards. Locusts. locusts. It's like wow. a swarm of locusts. Well, I've been described as a lot of, a lot of things, but a locust, uh, yeah, that's new. Yeah, you go. And that's a good note to end the podcast on. 